to the latest episode of Canadian RegTech Association's podcast, RegTech Roundup. I'm Charlene Sebastian, and I'm your host today. By way of background, I'm Head of Client Success at Minerva AI, an award-winning AI-driven AML compliance platform, and I'm also a strategic advisor with the CRTA. For those of you who don't know the Canadian RegTech Association, we are a nonprofit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key RegTech stakeholders, regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. Today, I'm excited to be with Tim Ward, Head of Product Marketing at Cube, a global leader in automated regulatory intelligence, talking about their recent insights report. Cryptopia Regulation, and Crypto on a Cliff Edge. Tim, if you could talk a little bit about yourself and Cube and how this report came to be. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Charlene, and uh, delighted to be here um, on this podcast today. Uh, my name's Tim Ward. I've spent over 20 years in the regtech industry, and I'm based in the UK, and I work for a company called Cube Global. Uh, Cube is a regtech provider uh, we scan the world's regulatory content, actually over 5,000 different issuers of regulatory information in over 60 different languages. And we take all of that content and structure it and classify it against our own ontology, which is really just a description, a dictionary of financial terms. Um, and obviously, certainly at the moment, a lot of that content is related to cryptocurrencies and the crypto industry. And so using that vast amount of data, we're able to spot potential trends in terms of uh, issuing bodies that are writing the most about cryptocurrencies, the types of things that they're writing about, um, and generally the key points and the patterns across the world uh, in this interesting uh, area of regulatory compliance. And that's really how the report came about, using that data to pull some insights uh, so that we can think about how the crypto industry is changing over time. And there's so much going on uh, in, in the world. Uh, and when, when the report uh, was issued last year, it was just mind-boggling, over 10,000 different regulatory issuances and still much more coming uh, in 2023. Has crypto finally reached the mainstream? I think that's a really good question. I mean, I can remember it was only five or six years ago when you were talking to colleagues within your own organization and they were talking about investing in cryptocurrency, this kind of new thing called Bitcoin. And I remember first hearing it and thinking, that sounds like too good to be true. That's like one of those kind of get rich quicks kind of schemes. That's not going to end well. And then kind of the months passed and the years passed and these colleagues were reporting incredible returns. I think if you bought Bitcoin, if you bought $22 of Bitcoin at that time, it'd be worth over a million dollars today, although that, that price is varying and fluctuating all of the time. And so after all of these years, you suddenly are starting to take this kind of currency seriously. 
you know, at the moment, um, we estimate that there's over 11,000 different cryptocurrencies available. There's over 300 million people around the world um, that have at least some sort of cryptocurrency direct um, holding. And so I don't know if it's really hit the mainstream in terms of the mainstream investors, uh, their pension plans and their predominant primary investments are held in cryptocurrency. But it's certainly it's certainly become a lot, lot more popular and is still the trajectory is that it's going to become even more kind of popular over the months and years ahead. Yes, we definitely saw some uh, big investments into crypto, especially in North America last year uh, through Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, um, you know, looking at uh, integrated transactions and how they'll hold um, crypto within their own portfolios. Mm. Uh, even here in Canada, uh, one of our pension plans absolutely uh, bought into it. And of course, uh, we're, 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 uh, Devastated a bit by uh, the situation happening with uh, FTX, as many folks in the crypto industry are are aware of. Um, I think one of the things that we see quite a bit from those who are leading in the crypto industry um, and, and the friction between regulators is that people really don't understand the language of crypto or really how some of those products are structured and how they ultimately work. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, terminology and how that creates uh, a bit of friction or a challenge to move ahead with clear regulation? I think so. I mean, I think crypto, the cryptocurrency and crypto asset industry has got its own dictionary, its own language of terms. You know, we think about digital wallets and blockchains and uh, non-fungible tokens. And I think to somebody who's even somebody who's experienced in financial services and the language of investment has got a whole new dictionary of terms to learn. And that's certainly true within compliance teams and those responsible for forming new regulation. And it's not just a set of financial terms. It gets more into the technology as well, like having to understand the underlying infrastructure. Um, so it's a big learning curve one for compliance teams, two for regulators. The third part of that is that once you understand that domain, you then have to map that to existing regulations. Like what is it? What when does a crypto asset become a security, or when does it become an investment? Um, because from a regulatory point of view, you're trying to understand whether you need new regulation or whether you can actually just extend. Uh, existing regulation. And before you can make that decision, you've really got to understand the terminology at quite a deep level, but then be able to explain that to other people within the organization that may not have engaged with uh, cryptocurrency. And certainly there's a, I think there is a generational aspect to this where there's certain demographics that are probably more likely to have engaged with the industry than other than, than other demographics and so um there's a potential uh, barrier there as well and the situation is constantly moving there's a lot of innovation in the field there's a lot of new types of um tokens and currencies and assets that are forming and it reminds me a lot of kind of the derivative and the futures market where almost every month at one stage there was a new type of investment 
model or a new type of investment instruments. Uh, and every one of those instruments poses different compliance and risk and regulatory challenges. Definitely. Uh, you know, and and I think it's it's really um, really fair to note. And I think you know, even in in the crypto industry, some of the folks that are um, trying to develop those products and sell those products are also uh, you know struggling with what regulation to apply um, mm. because it feels for them it's a bit of a, a you know floating uh, platform. Um, you know, I know that you've got a viewpoint uh, on regulation and absence of definitive law. Can you yeah. share that viewpoint with us, Tim, and some recommendations for folks maybe in that industry? Yeah, I mean, I think if you read the read the media reports, there's a lot of government pressure and political pressure for new regulation. I think there's been a perception over the last two years that potentially governments and regulators have been a little bit slow to kind of um, adapt to kind of these new forms of investment. So you'll you'll read stories that there must be new regulation. And I think that's certainly true. And we've seen that within Europe with the Mika regulation, which is a consolidation of crypto um, asset specific regulation all, all in one place. But I think there is a misconception that in the absence of that new regulation, that the industry is completely unregulated and that's not true either in that there's been lots of cases the the regulators and the criminal agencies and the political organizations have still got lots of tools in their toolbox to be able to hold cryptocurrency firms and particularly bad actors and uh, and individuals to account uh, we've seen examples in the US um of uh, companies going after cryptocurrency firms under lots of existing rules and regulations, the existing securities laws. Uh, those companies have still got to abide by criminal law in terms of fraudulent activity. If they're publicly traded, they have to abide by a whole host of listing rules. Um, so I would say that there's all sorts of different existing laws and instruments that are protecting the consumer and the um, companies do have to abide by. Um, but I do also agree that there's some very specific characteristics of crypto um, assets and cryptocurrencies that would benefit from new laws and certainly a consolidation of, uh, of laws as well. But certainly, I don't know if any reputable cryptocurrency firm uh, or crypto asset firm would think that they're able to kind of operate pretty much in, in any way that, that they have. I think there's been enough evidence over the last 12 to 24 months that there's certainly plenty of ways that they can fall foul of, of, of regulators. Yeah, and just, you know, kind of a comment um, and an add in here, uh, Tim, before we move on to the next part of our discussion, but, you know, I've been fairly impressed by the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK. Uh, I've been watching um, a lot of their evolution already this year in 2023, uh, really cracking down on misleading advertising, yeah. uh, especially in, in crypto um, and, and daily alerts, uh, kind mm -hmm. of warning everyday um, consumers about potentially fraudulent uh, or misleading advertising. And so I think that's very, very commendable for a regulator to kind of take on that 
um, that challenge. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that as well, Charlene, in that I don't know if I'm biased because I'm based in the UK and I see <laughs> I see kind of a lot of the FCA output, but um, I do think the FCA do a good job of um, describing their concerns, obviously forming regulation, but keeping lots of discussion going around what the appropriate responses they produce a lot of they speak a lot at a, a wide range of events they want to encourage innovation through their innovation programs um they directly publish a lot of guidance which uh, relative to you know other regulators i think is pretty readable and pretty understandable and between the consumer duty the senior managers regime their latest round of regulation tries to put the consumer at heart. So it tries to get businesses to think about what is the harm that could possibly happen uh, for your investors and particularly consumer investors. Um, they're really sort of, they, they put that at the heart of many of, many of the regulations and, and the content that they're uh, producing. So yes, I agree. I think they're to be commended on um on on how they're approaching it in terms of the educational aspect plus the regulatory um, aspect here in canada as well um you know it's an interesting observation um fintrack is also very much um reaching out to the public with additional guidance uh video series and innovation series in fact uh, yesterday, February 15th, they just hosted a session really to focus on new technologies for financial institutions to help them uh, look at how they can be innovative. And I think it's a really uh, interesting evolution for our regulators um, to, to previous uh, relationships with them and absolutely something um, we want to um, you know, emulate here, I think, in Canada and elsewhere. Um, and, and so going back to the, the terminology piece and the structure uh, of these assets, I know in the AML space, we've had regulation uh, for AML now for, gosh, I think getting close to over a decade. Yeah. Um, the securities treatment uh, of the assets is still very uh, evolutionary. Um, can you Tell us a little bit about some of the specific risks that digital assets pose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, digital assets have these characteristics when they were really introduced into the market, they were promoted to have um, particular characteristics like you didn't necessarily know who you were transacting with or you didn't need to know who you were transacting with, for example. Um, they could also be based on like their value could be based on lots of different things. It could be just a currency in itself, like Bitcoin, um, that has like this intrinsic value and people just trust that it has that 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 value and it can be exchanged um, easily. Um, so when you bring that into a more traditional financial environment, the types of things that you're conflicting against is, as you mentioned, AML and uh, counter-terrorism procedures uh, it goes almost against everything that uh, regulators and banks believe in that you should that you don't need to know who you're transacting with that's kind of the opposite of uh, of AML regulation and so um 
what the regulator is saying, okay, well, we've already got AML um, regulation and rules. So we are going to allow, are we going to still allow you to be licensed and trade crypto assets, but we're not going to sacrifice our AML obligations. And so you do need, the emphasis is really on crypto exchanges to be able to do due diligence on their customers in the same way that they would do if they were using traditional cash or or, or investments. So I think that's the first part is like, okay, you can still get some of the benefits of crypto assets, but we still need to know who you are. We still expect you to do due diligence um, and we still are going to sanction, um, you know, known known criminals and, and bad actors. We're not going to use have this as a mechanism that the criminal fraternity can kind of use to exchange uh, value or effectively launder their their, their proceeds. I think the other interesting one from a risk perspective is a big concern for compliance teams in financial organizations is insider trading or or insider risk or conflicts of interest. So if I'm a portfolio manager or I'm managing a pension fund, even if they're in traditional um, assets like securities and equities uh, and derivatives and so forth or, or funds themselves, it's... If I'm also engaging in a crypto asset um, investment personally, what are the chances that the two things are in conflict within each other? Now, for pure cash transactions and FX trading, for example, some compliance firms will say that's not really an issue because I don't think you personally engaging in that FX trading is, is to the detriment of the service you're providing for the firm or, or the end investors. There's no way that you changing pounds into US dollars is going to affect that investment with Google. We just we just don't see that being a conflict, so we're going to allow you to do it. But because of the complexity of crypto assets, some of those could have some linkage through to a company or a security. And just to take even an indirect example, if you know that Tesla, for example, is heavily traded within or has assets within Bitcoin and Elon Musk is so uh, influential in terms of influencing the price of Bitcoin, then ultimately there becomes a link between the value of Tesla and Bitcoin. It's not an obvious link, but there is a link. And if you're able to predict that or anticipate that there's going to be big movements after Tesla earning announcements, um, or Tesla investor briefings, then there's an opportunity there for you to front run and, and personally gain. So there becomes insider trading risks on some of those assets. And some of them are even more direct in terms of those crypto assets actually being linked in some way to different sectors or different types of fundraising. Um, and then that becomes very compl complex for compliance teams because they they don't want to prohibit their employees from trading these these instruments. So it's finding that line as to what's allowed, what's not allowed, and what are the chances of those conflicts of interest or front-running activities actually taking place. It's huge. Um, and again, as you point out, extremely complex, again, because of the way that certain tokens are structured um, and certain assets are structured and their underlying um, I think, kind of facility. Now, going back to regulation, 
You know, we've seen a lot of conflicting messages from the regulators. Information still isn't clear. You know, what are some of those things that you're seeing and what should organizations who are uh, looking at retailing digital assets, what should they be doing to address that or get ahead of the curve? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good question. And the regulators are in a very difficult position and regulators are obviously funded and directed by uh, the governments within those countries that also have different responsibilities and, and different agendas. You'll see these when we talk about conflicting messages, I think we're really referring to parts of the government that are publishing material and promoting the adoption of crypto assets and currencies. They want that investment to be happening within their own countries. And so you'll see political speeches that saying we're open to this. We want innovation. We want to be part of this. In Europe, obviously, post-Brexit, every European major financial city is constantly promoting themselves as being a city that is open for business and is welcoming investment and is easy to do business in. And, you know, the rising cryptocurrency industry is no different to any other parts of the financial organization. Uh, so they want to attract that investment. But on the other half, the regulators are taking a more cautious approach. So, well, that's great. And we do want to be innovative, but we also want to protect consumers. And we don't want to, we don't want this industry to kind of completely sidestep all of the existing regulatory framework. So there is that, there is that balance. So what do firms do? Well, you know, we believe in RegTech that compliance can be a competitive advantage. And rather than being reactive and wait, you know, the wait and see approach, the the larger firms, particularly off the back of, you know, the large collapses or the bad press and the slight kind of investor uncertainty now in Bitcoin is that they're better reaching out and building relationships with regulators, being collaborative, taking part in the um, in the collaborative and the innovation programs and getting ahead of the regulation. Because at the end of the day, the regulation is there to protect the consumers and it does represent good business. And I think if those principles are adopted and integrated, it's going to make those crypto businesses better. And I think ultimately it is going to produce a competitive advantage. And I think it goes right back to the beginning of, of the first question, which is, has it hit the mainstream? Well, in order really for it to hit the mainstream, you've got to reach more cautious investors and you're going to reach those by proving that you're operating within a, a good governance structure that ultimately the regulatory is, is your guidebook to how to get to that, to get to that structure. As we talk about it, I think, and, and as I, you know, uh, kind of maneuver through the information myself, for me, it really comes down to, even though that underlying technology uh, differs from traditional investments and assets, fundamentally, the things that I need to feel comfortable about uh, as a consumer 
are the very same things that I need to have in place when dealing with existing uh, investment instruments. And so it's a great point. And I think those that do make a safe uh, and comfortable and transparent environment for investors to come and play, they will be the ones that will eventually win out. I think that's totally right. I think it's one thing in having a little hobby and playing in, in some of these investments and, you know, it's, it's spare change, it's losable, it's losable money. But when you get to any kind of significant amount of money, we talk a lot about having a level kind of playing field. So you don't want to be at the poker table where you're playing with every other player is like 10 times more skilled than you are. And, you know, they can read cards and, uh, uh, and basically, you know, you're going to lose your money. And so the crypto environment has to be transparent. You've got to kind of know how it works and you don't want to be the one who, you know, who doesn't, who's not on the inside, who doesn't know, know the information. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think that's right. If it's any sort of significant amount of investment, then you kind of need those, uh table stakes of just transparency you need to know who you're dealing with you need to know you can trust them and you can also trust kind of the infrastructure that that, that supports it so let's turn our gaze to the future tim mm -hmm. you know we've had really great conversation about what's happening what folks should think about doing the way that the world uh, or the crypto verse could could be that better safer place to play yeah. what do you see as being the future regulatory focus and do you think crypto can ever really be regulated i do think it can be regulated perhaps not in its current in its current form i think when you look at the job boards of like some of the world's top regulators like the SEC or the FCA or the Federal Reserve, they're advertising for a whole range of positions. They're advertising for additional people to help them enforce, so enforcement activity, uh, which is perhaps what you would expect. But they're also advertising for research analysts, for academics, for technology people. So I read from that that they're trying to build a knowledge base and an expertise to help design useful regulation that is ideally going to keep a lot of the advantages of uh, investing in crypto assets. And we'll come on to some of those advantages, um, but reducing the risk or the consumer harm. And some of it might also be about education. It could be we are fine that this is a volatile investment. Um, as long as consumers understand that volatility and can make their own risk-based decisions. So I think we will see the future. I think we'll see more regulation. I'll see, I think we'll see clarity over existing regulation in terms of what's included uh, in, say, AML or other forms of regulation. Um, I think we'll see, hopefully, regulators really... It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to actually work with the industry much more closely in its infancy to say, where is that balance? Um, what's the right amount of regulation? Uh, what, what's appropriate? So I think we'll we'll definitely see that. I think the crypto asset industry, I feel, has gone way beyond the tipping point of it being viable and, and having a future. Um, I think it's proven itself that it is a, it is a viable um, investment. It still has 
lots of advantages in terms of being able to transfer value from one place to to another, particularly across those international borders. It's got an opportunity to help charities because it's it's great at transferring smaller amounts of money cross border. So it allows easier fundraising across an international kind of landscape. And there's also big benefits within kind of the unbanked territories, i.e. Uh, individuals and people and groups that have difficulty accessing traditional financial services. There's a huge opportunity there. So there's like these huge upsides. Um, in the UK, the, um, the central bank is actually looking at um, introducing their own digital pound, which um, will be almost the it'll be the electronic equivalent of sterling. And that'll be an amazing kind of thing. And I think that will move the industry forward as well. So, OK, well, there's a major currency now that is sitting on the digital platform. So it's making use of the technology concepts, but it's it's government backed effectively. And so I think that will create lots of interesting kind of questions and movements as well. No, I agree. I agree. Tim, Great discussion, uh, really uh, interesting perspectives. And if you could recommend anything to our listeners about how to kind of keep up with this uh, evolving and very fast-paced world of cryptocurrency, uh, what would you share with them? Yes, I mean, I think it is an interesting area. I think my biggest advice is to... um, if you just want the highlights of, of where the where the regulators going in particular, um, I would definitely recommend following some of the speeches that kind of key contacts that regulators are making. They tend to be published once or twice a month. They're you know two or three pages, but they provide really good summaries of the latest cases, the latest interpretations, and you get quite a good return on investment. It's perhaps 10 minutes of your time, but you actually <laughs> get like quite a good summary of, uh, 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 of where things are going. I think if you if your actual job is in compliance and risk, then I think it's, it's really about aggregating all of the information of all of the territories and jurisdictions that you operate within um, and then having hopefully an automated way of collecting that information and, and, and making sense of it. Um, and that's obviously where solutions like Cube can definitely help automate and make that process a lot more efficient. Well, thank you, Tim. And on behalf of the Canadian RegTech Association, we'd like to, uh, again, thank you and, and thank you uh, for bringing Cube uh, and, and what Cube does and the highlights of the crypto report uh, forward for our listeners. It's been a pleasure. Great to talk to you, Charlene. Great. Thank you.